0: Welcome to Wyoming Pathway to Adventure. Places to go and ways to enjoy Wyoming's great outdoors. Brought to you by Wyoming State Parks, Office of Outdoor Recreation. Howdy, this is Pathfinder Bruce Sholiano. Aquatic invasive species continue to threaten Wyoming's water. In response, Wyoming State Parks and the Wyoming Game and Fish Department have implemented new boating restrictions at Keyhole and Glendo Reservoirs. These restrictions are to protect Glendo and Keyhole from an immediate and growing threat of zebra mussels, which have infested nearby Pactola Reservoir in South Dakota. Game and Fish inspection data shows Keyhole and Glendo are frequent destinations for boaters who visit Pactola. South Dakota Game Fish and Parks declared Pactola infested with zebra mussels on July 14th. The risk of spread has increased significantly since this summer, and more precautions are necessary to protect waters in Wyoming. In mid-September, the marina at Pactola closed and boats moored at this location were inspected as they were removed. AIS inspectors reported multiple boats coming off the water from the marina with live adult mussels attached. Finding multiple boats with fully grown viable adult mussels on them shows that the infestation at Pactola is larger and more established than initially believed. Restrictions for boaters at Glendo and Keyhole State Parks began October 5th to help protect the two popular reservoirs from zebra mussels. At both Keyhole and Glendo State Parks, all watercraft will be inspected at the boat ramp before launching. Watercraft must be inspected in the daylight hours, and check stations will be open 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. This start time may change in coming weeks as days get shorter. Any time changes will be posted on the Game and Fish website. Use of the boat ramp is restricted to 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Launching without an inspection is prohibited. At Keyhole, boaters will be limited to launching at the Pine Haven-Coulter Bay ramp. Glender boaters will launch only at Whiskey Gulch. All other boat ramps will be closed and shore launching is prohibited. Boaters should plan for delays getting on the water. At this time, limitations will be effective through November 30th at Keyhole. Restrictions at Glendo will be in place until the reservoir freezes. The Game and Fish Department is actively working to develop procedures to expedite inspections of boats that return to either Keyhole or Glendo prior to boating elsewhere. State Parks has the authority to regulate boat ramp hours and has done so in consultation with the Game and Fish. If a person violates any State Park or Game and Fish AIS regulation, law enforcement may issue a citation. Both agencies recognize the inconvenience these restrictions may cause, but believe they are necessary to protect the popular reservoirs from aquatic species infestation. To further understand the threat quadra and zebra mussels pose to fisheries and domestic water sources, let's turn to an earlier interview with regional IIS coordinator, Reed Moore. Hello, Reed. Hi, Bruce. Uh, We hear the term AIS bandied about uh, what is AIS? So
1: AIS stands for aquatic invasive species. They're organisms that are non-native to our ecosystems here in Wyoming. And so in Wyoming, we have a list of those species um, and they include things like quagga and zebra mussels, rusty crayfish, um, there's several species of plants, hydrilla, curly pondweed, um, Eurasian watermilfoil. In the Sheridan region, we have um, Asian clams, Curly pondweed, and close by we have New Zealand mud snails as well, um, and so they all cause harm when they're introduced into our ecosystems, and so they're things we don't want here.
0: And what kind of threats do these species pose?
1: Um, one of the big key components of invasive species is they typically outcompete our native species, um, and so they may directly affect n- native species that we have here in Wyoming. But the thing we're most worried about are the Dreissenid mussels, and so that's quagga and zebra mussels, and they have wide-reaching impacts even outside of our outdoor recreators Um, they would cause problems to water infrastructure facilities they're able to attach to hard or semi-hard surfaces and substrate and so they can attach to things like irrigation systems water treatment facilities boats anything where they could settle out onto they actually have these threads that basically cement them to those materials and then they cause problems they reproduce exponentially a single female zebra mussel can produce millions of eggs a year and so you get a lot of growth of these very small shells that then end up dying and washing up on beaches making it hard to recreate in those places where instead of having nice sand and a good surface to be on you have a lot of sharp shells from these dying organisms They're also competing directly with all of our native species at the bottom of the food chain. And so it's kind of a bottom-up cascade where they're taking a lot of the nutrients out of the bottom of the food chain, making it less available for levels as you go up the food chain.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, quadra mussels and zebra mussels. Can they clog irrigation systems or domestic water supplies?
1: Yes, they can. So they attach, like I said, to things. And so they can start growing inside those pipes, and they'll start attaching to each other, creating big blocks where they clog off those water supply systems, whether that's irrigation, wastewater treatment, city and municipality water sources. Um, they've definitely increased the cost of and the maintenance cost in a lot of facilities in the Midwest where they were first introduced.
0: How uh, do mussels and zebra mussels affect uh, the fishery in um, a lake?
1: So in a, the fishery and that ecosystem, the aquatic ecosystem, um, plankton are the base of that food chain and that's filter feeders. When you have lots of those, they're filtering out the bottom food source. And so they're competing with things like native snails and small bodied fish that are all eating that plankton, um, reducing what's available in that lake for what we would consider our sport fish and what people are going after to try to catch when they're fishing.
0: So um, they're basically taking out so much of that plankton out of a lake or or a stream that the native fish can't, um, they don't have enough food?
1: Yep. So they're definitely, um, that's their biggest impact in that ecosystem is they're taking out the base of that food chain. And so then the little fish don't have enough food, which then in turn leads to smaller amounts of Prey fish that then the predators would be eating. So it's kind of just goes up through that where they're competing more directly with smaller fish that we're not as concerned with, but that means there's less of those fish, which in turn means there's less food for our predators that we're trying to raise so that anglers can catch.
0: I see. And uh, what is the Game and Fish Department doing to help prevent invasive species from getting into Wyoming's waters?
1: So the biggest thing we're doing is watercraft inspections so we operate check stations all around the state because we don't have quagga and zebra mussels in wyoming yet Um, a lot of those check stations are at state lines where we're inspecting watercraft when they come in Um, it's really easy for them to get transported like i said adults can attach so they can be attached to watercraft but as juveniles they're actually microscopic in the water so we can't even see them they're free floating in the water so just small amounts of standing water on watercraft can transport those juveniles and then if that water ends up in a water body they could grow up in that water and infest that lake or reservoir. Um, So we do inspections in the Sheridan region. We have inspections that we operate seven days a week at both the Sheridan Rest Area and the Northeast Wyoming Welcome Center over near Beulah on the South Dakota state line. And then we do inspections at Keyhole and Lake DeSmit. Another big thing, a lot of what my time is spent in the summer doing is monitoring. So we're actively looking for aquatic invasive species at reservoirs around Wyoming keeping track of both our native species that we have there as well as AIS that we have in Wyoming currently. In Sheridan, unfortunately, we do have curly pondweed in both Lake DeSmit and over at Keyhole. And then Keyhole also has Asian clams. And so trying to keep track of those and make sure they're not being spread elsewhere. Unfortunately, across the state in Wyoming, every year we do see new populations of AIS popping up. And so we are still seeing boaters. Primary carriers transporting a lot of those from different drainages into new locations. And so, again, as we monitor that, if we find those, being able to educate boaters that that's there so that they're not transporting those organisms elsewhere.
0: Now, you mentioned curly pondweed. You know, that uh, if you don't mind me saying this, it sounds um, kind of a friendly sort of plant, curly pondweed. Uh, what's wrong with curly pondweed?
1: Uh, so curly pondweed actually grows a lot earlier in the season than our native pondweeds, and so they it grows first and so then it's taking up a lot of the space that our native plants would grow in limiting their growth it also grows much denser um, and much more successfully than our native plants and so it kind of alters the ecosystem of a lake where all of a sudden there's lots of vegetation where there may not have been that in the past um, we actually a couple of years ago had a kayaker in Keyhole gets stuck in a mat of curly pondweed where there was probably like a 20 foot by 20 foot patch of curly pondweed that he went into and that he couldn't get himself paddled out of it. And so they ended up throwing a rescue rope to him from the marina because it was close enough they could pull him just into the dock at the marina to get out of it. But we do see that recreational impact even at Keyhole with the curly pondweed over there.
0: Uh, can these mats of curly pondweed then shade out native species?
1: Yep, that's essentially the biggest problem with curly pondweed. It actually grows... More commonly, people are used to like terrestrial plants, and so it grows almost like a winter annual, where in the fall it'll sprout, get a little bit of growth, and then in the spring it can start growing much faster than our native pondweeds that start all of their growth as annuals in the spring once the ice is off. And so in places like Minnesota, where they have lots of populations of curly pondweed, they'll see curly pondweed actually growing as the ice is still on the water and sun's just able to penetrate through the ice into the water, and curly pond it'll start growing even before the ice is completely off of reservoirs. That could be happening at Keyhole. We don't do a lot of like looking under the ice to see what's going on, but it definitely is the first plant we see growing in the spring over there.
0: Now you mentioned recreational boaters spreading these from drainage to drainage. Uh, can you see that you might have quadrum mussels in your bilge, for example, or attached to your boat? Is it easy to see? If they're
1: adults, um, for quagga, zebra mussels, Asian clams, all of those um, organisms, if they're adults, they're visible to our naked eye. But when they're juveniles, a lot of those are microscopic, and so they're really hard to see. So the big thing with those, then, is they're in water, and so we want to make sure we're not transporting water from location to location. And so if you're leaving Keyhole, you don't want to take that water from Keyhole to Lake DeSmith because there is a chance there's Asian clam bellagers in there. Um, there's a chance there's actually plant fragments in that water that may be able to create populations elsewhere. So it's not just the organisms we can see, but also any of the water from a water body that has AIS is a concern.
0: Well, you mentioned villagers. What are villagers?
1: So that's the microscopic juvenile form of quagga or zebra mussels or Asian clams. Um, And so when they reproduce, they're microscopic, they free float in the water, and that's the villager stage. Um, And then once they get bigger than that, they settle out and then they would be what we would classify normally as a clam, where it's a typical bivalve, two shells hinged
0: together. What can um, anglers and boaters do to prevent the spread of aquatic species?
1: So the biggest thing for any recreator, not just boaters and anglers, but anyone going on the water, is make sure anytime you're coming off a body of water, you're cleaning, draining, and drying all of your equipment. Um, Like I said, we don't want to move water from one place to another. And so anytime you come off the water make sure you're completely draining any compartments that you have if you have ballast bags or live wells once you get home open those up so they can air dry don't leave them closed Um, if you have anything that can be taken out to air dry life jackets things like that that are wet even high humid environments can be conducive to allow those organisms to remain viable Um, and so we want to make sure we're eliminating that risk of them staying viable and so we want to drain and dry everything to the best of our ability anytime we go from water to water so if you're leaving keyhole or you're leaving lake Desmith, open your live well let it dry out take your life jackets out hang those up so they can get completely dry before you put them back in and put them in storage until your next time that you use your watercraft or um, water toy
0: so anybody being in the water they're really on the the front lines of preventing these AIS species from uh, infesting another water?
1: Yeah, it's definitely, naturally it's very hard for these organisms to move great distances over land. We as humans do that very easily in vehicles and tow watercraft behind us. So it allows a very big vector and a very easy vector for these aquatic species to remain viable and be transported great distances. So it really is the recreator that is gonna be able to stop it and that's by cleaning, draining, and drying anything they're using on the water.
0: So uh, don't help these things spread.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. We definitely don't want to help them anymore. They already do enough damage and they are good at what they do in invading places. So we don't need to help them anymore.
0: So if you're familiar with Wyoming, um, you may see a sticker on the bow of a canoe, a kayak, motorboat, uh, what what are those stickers about? And they'll say AIS on them.
1: So when the AIS program was started in Wyoming in 2010, there was the Aquatic Invasive Species Act passed. And part of that set up the fee structure for that decal. Um, it's basically a permit that any watercraft um, must have before they can launch in Wyoming. That's what helped fund the AIS program to get started. Um, and so that was the big, generating of funds was implementing that decal and so any watercraft except for a few exceptions the paddle boards are exempted from that requirement and so are inflatable watercraft under 10 feet in length but otherwise any other watercraft that defined by the coast guard as a watercraft must have those before they can be used Um, and that's still now um, a big source of funding for the ais program
0: so basically these decals pay for the inspections and the decontamination of watercraft
1: yep So at our check stations, we do inspections and then if we need to do decontaminations to eliminate the risk of a watercraft that may be carrying AIS, we do those free of charge at our check stations. Um, And so with that act in 2010, it also made inspections required for boats coming from out of state. Um, So currently any watercraft entering Wyoming By land from March through November has to be inspected Um, and then they also have to have that decal so there's two things watercraft have to have before they can launch when they come into the state of Wyoming and that's an inspection and then a decal.
0: Now I have run into people who um, have come from out of state with uh, kayaks, small kayaks, hard shell kayaks and frankly they don't think that they're watercraft. So are kayaks watercraft?
1: Yeah so kayaks are watercraft. Um, There's a lot of those simpler watercraft may not be as big of a risk, or they may not seem as big of a risk, but they're still going on water bodies. Um, they are classified as watercraft. Not only do they need AIS inspections, but I imagine you probably have seen some of those where they don't have life jackets. And so both paddle boards and kayaks require life jackets for people using those as well.
0: I see. and so. The inspections are are very important to keep aquatic invasive species out of Wyoming's waters.
1: Yeah, the, the inspections are really the front line of keeping AIS out of Wyoming. That's where we're looking at watercraft, making sure they don't have any risk of transporting AIS into our state. If through that inspection we find they are coming from a place that has them or on the off chance that we do find actual aquatic invasive species when we're doing that inspection, we have decontamination units, which we're then able to use scalding hot water, 120 degrees or 140 degrees, depending on the area of the watercraft we're decontaminating. Um,
0: Sounds a little ominous there. Does it hurt the watercraft?
1: It doesn't hurt the watercraft. That's why we have the different temperatures. Um, On more sensitive areas, um, we're using a little bit cooler water at 120 degrees, where it's not going to damage anything. Um, But uh, things like the exterior of the watercraft, engines that are running at a high temperature anyway, we're able to use that 140 degree water, and then we're able to get the decontamination done a little bit faster.
0: What if somebody's coming from out of state, um, visiting Wyoming? uh, Are these inspection stations open 24 hours a day?
1: No, the inspection stations' hours vary based on the location. Beulah, over on the South Dakota state line, we're open seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sheridan, it depends on the day of the week. Um, Thursday through Saturday, we're open 7 to 7, but then Sunday through Wednesday, we're only open 7 to 4.30. Um, That's just... We don't have enough staff to be able to be open 24-7, and so we staff to catch the majority of the traffic as they come in.
0: What if somebody was visiting Wyoming and there wasn't an inspection station open?
1: So before they would launch, they'd need to make sure they have it inspected. So if you're planning on coming to Wyoming, you need to make sure you go to our website. We have a list of check station hours um, or call your closest regional office and they can direct you to a location to get inspections. Game and Fish aren't the only people that are able to provide inspections. Um, if you're coming into the state, we do have other options. We have some businesses that are certified to do inspections and we have some private inspectors listed on our website that are able to do inspections as well.
0: So if you check out the Wyoming Game and Fish Department website, you'll, you'll get those details that will help you plan uh, your trip to Wyoming?
1: Yeah, definitely. If you're bringing a watercraft, there is those steps you've got to take to plan and you can find that all in the AIS section of the Game and Fish website.
0: And preparation is a, um, an important part of any trip, and uh, it's good to be prepared. And this would be one way to be prepared if you had a watercraft. Well, uh, thanks for stopping by today, Reed, and uh, helping protect Wyoming's waters from aquatic invasive species.
1: Thanks. It was good to spend some time with you, Bruce.
0: For additional information regarding aquatic invasive species and current boating regulations, visit the Wyoming Game and Fish Department website at wgfd.wyo.gov. Join us each week on Wyoming Pathway to Adventure. Your outdoor adventure awaits in Wyoming.